0: Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders, sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, Founder and CEO at Momentum, the B2B Growth Consultancy. Welcome to this episode of Account-Based Marketing. Growth means different things to different people, particularly in this climate. For some, it's about year-on-year growth or expanding into new markets, and for others, it's about retaining market share. For me, marketing has never had a more critical role to play in growth, so I'm thrilled to be joined today by T-Systems Chief Marketing Officer, Catherine White. Welcome, Catherine.
1: Thanks very much, So It's great to be with you.
0: Good to have you with us. Catherine, you're one of the most client-centric CMOs that I know, and I'd, I'd love for you to kick us off with a bit about your past experience and the role that you're doing today at T-Systems.
1: Yeah, thanks very much. That's uh, probably the best compliment I've ever received. I think at the heart of every good marketer is an obsession with clients and client-centricity. Uh, the other obsession I've had throughout my uh, B2B marketing career is sort of working at the intersection, you know, where there's gaps in terms of what our industry is doing, what our clients need, and where we are as a function. So from that standpoint, I think the opportunity at T-Systems, where we are transforming the business, where the market is transforming, and the function is transforming, I thought that was a perfect fit for me to come in and address all three of those gaps at the same time. And so that's my focus here
0: brilliant you've had quite a rich experience working across ibm and their managed services business both in in a cmo function and uh, leading one of their practices and and a transformational role do you think that's prepared you for the the opportunity that's ahead of you
1: yeah i think it gave me a great foundation i think you're never prepared for the unexpected <laughs> But if you can, you know, approach each new opportunity, I mean, I always say, am I, am I teaching something? Am I learning something? And do I leave things a little bit better than when I started? And so I've had the privilege to do that through uh, working with a number of companies, both in terms of who I worked for, and then also with companies in terms of who we worked with, how we supported their journey as well. And then I've also had the pleasure of working in a number of different countries, so I would say the more that I learned, the more I realized how much I had to learn. Yeah. And that sort of, you know, combination of my foundation, this desire to go into gaps and this notion of um, humility, mm-hmm. uh, I think has helped me to ask better questions and therefore create better impact.
0: I know you've got a really good perspective on the questions that you ask, so I'd love to dive into that a little bit later in this episode. It'd be great if you could give us your take on the role of the CMO when it comes to growth. I know you you did an interview earlier in the year about defining the role of the CMO, but in the context of growth, what is marketing's role? I think it's a really
1: important question because I think too many of us have allowed someone other than a marketer to answer that question. And the times require leadership from us uh, and leadership in new ways. Uh, one of the things I observed is that other roles it take, for example, the CFO role and maybe even the CHRO role is very well defined. I mean, people know exactly what a CFO does. And I think even within marketing, let alone across the rest of the organization, when one is asked, What is the role of the CMO? I worry that we all give a different answer. And in the context of that, we don't have the ability to, you know, coalesce around this, this kind of impact we're going to have. And so as a result, I think other people are defining our role for us.
0: Yeah, you end up diluting the direction of travel. And what about growth when you're thinking about growth strategies? Um, should marketing be owning it? Should it be coming from other functions within the business?
1: You no, know, it's a pretty simple adage. If you're not helping the company to grow, you're a cost center. And a cost center is not the place we want to be. I mean, if we really are driving through that client lens, we want to be focused on growth of our business and growth of our client's business. That combination uh, requires a different kind of leadership. I, mean, I, I do believe that the four Ps, the consistency of that sort of foundation is relevant to our role, even though underneath those, nearly everything has changed. I mean, mm-hmm. at some level, product and services still exist. Pricing still exists, even though, you know, business models have changed. How we go to market is still important or place. But but the context of how has obviously dramatically changed. And I think the last P of promotion is like really off for where we are today. And I would say, and maybe this is a good segue, Alisa, to, to where we want to talk about data, I think of it more now as personalization. Mm -hmm. And the only way we're going to be able to personalize at scale or maybe even at all is through data. Yeah. And so yeah. that th- our, our ability to pull all that together, I think, is indeed the role of, of marketing and marketing leadership.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about pulling those things together. There's, there's a lot of uh, conversations I, I'm part of that focus on omni channel in B2B and, and sales becoming a channel out to market with marketing orchestrating those, those touch points. Is that the future for you? Is that where marketing will go?
1: Yeah, I think it has to. Omnichannel, of course, could mean different things for different organizations, depending on how many channels they're using. But I think there's a truth in between the number of channels, which is every time we touch a client, independent of the channel, it becomes more informed and more personalized Uh, to the point that, you know, there's a wow moment of value that allows us to truly you know, help and surprise the client in a way that they didn't expect from us. So for me, that seamlessness, it isn't just the seamlessness, it's the seamlessness plus the personalization that Mm -hmm. gives true omni-channel impact.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like the way you're thinking about it is also iterative, so how you're using the exactly. that earlier experience to inform the future experience. And what about in, your know, tea systems are not, you're not selling uh, coffee cups to corner shops, you've got a very complex proposition that you're taking out to often equally complex organisations, many of your customers, large global enterprises. How does that figure in Omnichannel? is that even really possible when you're talking about large buying teams?
1: Yeah, I think there's different kinds of touch points decisions and therefore, you know, the ch- different channels are appropriate for different kind of decisions. For example, there's simple stuff where, you know, a lot of the same thing is is purchased across a lot of different buying centers of a distributed organization. Well, you don't need your expensive in-person sales channel for for that work. That can be a client portal. That could possibly be supported by Vitella by as well. So, you know, there's there some segmentation in a more complex or customized portfolio as, as with T-Systems. Uh, and, and then I think there's also the opportunity of the channel of our clients. So sort of thinking as, as client as channel. So you can imagine that, uh, for example, a large auto manufacturer has a large supply chain. And so a channel through that client into their supply chain digitally is also a really interesting dimension of of where the marketplace is going. I think, you know, the more complex the portfolio, the more often a person or a solution architect or something more than the other channels will naturally give. But I think the way of, of intersecting that so that our education uh, shaping of belief, or you know early stage nurturing rolls into a more natural evolution, in, in terms of the comp- the more complex opportunities, uh, is is another way that omnichannel can help us.
0: Interesting. I think the, the, the selling via the customer to their supply chain is quite a, a rich topic that is often overlooked when marketers Agreed. are focused on the channels that they're, they're owning or controlling. Let, let's let's talk, talk about leveraging those channels, you know, to, to be able to make the most of the channels that you do own. Marketing need to have access to audiences. And we, we've seen quite a big shift in recent years with things like GDPR, where you can't communicate to audiences. And in, instead of often creating a value exchange, i, I have seen organizations run opt-in campaigns, and, and this seems really futile to me. How are you thinking about customer or prospect data?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's, you said it right, this notion of value exchange. And I might take a step back and, and look at sort of what our clients' expectations, our customer expectations of us are. And I think, you know, they, they expect us to know them. Uh, I say surprise them, but this sort of moment of wow, or I didn't really, I didn't realize you knew that, or I didn't realize you could do that. So, it sort of surprise me with value and then, and help me. And so, this notion of, you know, being able to take that personalization a step further, however we choose to do that, to be able to give this unexpected value, I think is where customer expectations are. And so, I, I don't know that we think systemically about value exchange. I think sometimes we think about, you know, do we have the right content? Are we delivering it to the right customers at the right mm. time? But, but this bilateral value exchange, and I always like to use the example of, you know, when, when we use a car service, we'll give our location data. Yeah. And a lot of other times, you know, we're not going to share location data, but, but the value exchange is clear and immediate. And if we could think about our value exchange, beginning with that kind of paradigm, I think we'd get a lot closer to thinking about our our exchange and, of course, get more and better data as a result of thinking about the question differently
0: yeah that's a, i think you raise a really interesting point that there's so much focus on the, the content and the the communications sequencing but actually are you really creating a an opportunity a reason for the customer to to share particular data points with you
1: yeah wh- one of the things that's related to that is we've been doing work with advisory councils. I've been doing work with advisory councils for for a number of companies for for a period of time. And what I have found through the pandemic is the opportunity to transition that toward more of an advisory network, which has been super helpful from a logistics standpoint. And we move away from the event orientation of some of those councils to the true exchange of valuable information, whether it's peer-to-peer, organization to organization, and this notion of helping each other has been so much more powerful when thinking about it as a network than than the more traditional council models. So I think there's gonna be a, a number of, you know, sort of micro examples like that where the value exchange is allowing us to think through that maybe the value exchange plus the different world that we're living in Mm -hmm. is allowing us to think about value exchange differently.
0: We, We talk a little bit about data and it feels to me like we're in a world where marketing can pretty much measure anything we're we're almost drowning in in data and you you've got a really interesting perspective when it comes to to measurement do you, do you want us talk talk us through how you think about measuring marketing
1: yeah no i maybe i'll give a moment of credit to my parents my my dad taught math and my mom taught kindergarten and i think really that's all you need for <laughs> analytics maybe all you need for marketing and business also But when I was first thinking about analytics, applying analytics to the marketing mix, I thought about, you know, I'm just swimming in data and metrics. And and I wanted to move from what I, you know, is typically called a KPI or a key performance indicator to a KPA or key performance action. It doesn't really make sense. But the idea, I want to know what action I'm going to take as a result of measuring this. Otherwise, why am I measuring it? And so I took a step back to really spend my time to get a better question back to the earlier part of our discussion that I wanted to have answered. And I needed to know before I even started the the work on the analytics is what will I do once I have that answer? I couldn't address those two things, the specific question I wanted to have answered. And as a result of answering that, what I was going to do with it, then I thought I was wasting my time. The net of all of this is it allowed me to go from a lot of metrics to very few. That when I saw a change in that, I knew what action I wanted to take. And spending more time, sort of getting that right, allowed me to then do much more of the of the test and learn, much more of the you know uh, cause and effect, uh, allowing me to optimize in small steps more consistently the marketing mix.
0: Yeah, so, I bet um, you've had. Some quite surprising insights from much of the the work that you're thinking about applying these analytics properly. Have you had anything that you can share with us that you just think that's a kind of aha moment?
1: Well, one of the early examples I remember on this is that I was I was getting cuts to the marketing budget, and I knew that I was I knew this was wrong from the standpoint of we were running a, a channel program, and I knew that it was hurting the effectiveness of marketing. But it wasn't in the same time period that finance was, you know, giving the the reductions. So I, I I worked to identify essentially the time lag to find the time lag and the magnitude of the impact with that start stop or inconsistent spend in marketing, and basically it was you know six to nine months later in the in my particular example, but much greater magnitude than the amount we were cutting. In other words, it hurt a lot more just in a later time period. And so as a result of that clarity, I I didn't get those budget cuts any longer. Another easy example that I'd like to point to or point out is I went about trying to figure out why we were losing deals of a certain deal size and went through a bunch of different analytics around that. And there were too many non-quantifiable factors in why we were losing but but it was very clear as we went through that work why we would win deals of that size which i thought was very interesting so sometimes we have to be flexible on the question we're asking as we go through sort of the iterative process with with the data to say you know well let's modify this i mean and you you tend not to get sort of a a really good question give it to the analytics guys and they come back with a an answer it's it's the it's the ongoing back and forth to, to optimize that process and mm-hmm. in that process it was how I found out you know why we were winning the deal
0: I think that you've touched on a, a fantastic point there and something that I'll certainly take away from this conversation which is it's it's not just about data and, and looking at data through a particular lens but really figuring out what those insights are like that great budgeting example that you gave as well as the kind of win-loss analysis there's some real value hidden behind the data but you have to know what direction and, and where to poke it if you will exactly what would your guidance be to other marketing leaders that are either looking at this uh, measurement conundrum through the martech lens, or have so many different things to measure? Where, where can how can they get started?
1: Yeah, again, it starts with a, a question. Uh, what are you going to do with the answer? Who owns what data that you need for that answer? I like get clarity of okay, well, we we need sales data. Okay, get a name for each of the people. are going to give you the data that you need to answer that question that takes a long time otherwise in the process and then start your daily weekly whatever stand-ups to go through what the learning has been and you'll continue to modify that uh, over time and and get to the, the few insights that really drive you back.
0: Data measurement, two really big topics. Can, can we talk a little bit about how you're thinking about your go-to-market now? How, how is it different today compared to, say, this time last year?
1: Yeah, I think the pandemic has blurred again the boundaries of, of our function and our go-to-market. Early on in this, I sort of said uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek that all marketers are now digital and all sellers are now tele. And so some (laughs) of what we know as marketers, you know, has been very new for our sellers in this period. Uh, For example, you know, our sellers are really good at sort of walking the hallways and, and asking questions and gathering information to help them do the unexpected, you know, provide additional value for their clients. And we do that same thing, you know, through content and campaigns and digital touch points. So we started very early on to create a set of sort of virtual sound bites to help our sellers engage with their clients differently. So we helped on things like, I don't know, digital client centricity, how to re-engage, what does virtual co-creation and collaboration look like? I mean, things again, they're very natural to us in marketing of course, we can get better in all of this, but wasn't something the sellers were doing every day. So that notion of sort of teaching to, you know, strengthen the collaboration between sales and marketing, I like to think of the go-to-market, especially in an omni-channel world, more and more blurred or -hmm. more and more codependent as we move forward. And I think the pandemic has helped us to see it's not the organizational lines that matter, it's how we work together through the through the data and insight to, to drive a more compelling experience for our clients. This, you know, know me, surprise me, help me kind of value.
0: Yeah. And you've always had a, a very interesting perspective on marketing. You've seen those roles as not channel-based, but more almost aligned to customer segments. Talk me through that a little bit. Has that, has that shifted as the, the markets moved on, or is it has it become more reinforced?
1: Yeah, no, our, our go-to-market has had aspects of optimization in it all the time. I mean, we the way we go to market for our large distributed accounts is different than our, you know, centralized small and single country clear decision making process. But again, I think the the pandemic has blurred those processes for our clients as well, so I think some of the more natural segmentation of roles and companies uh, is going to shift again. So some of those, some of the things we've we've learned and optimized from an efficiency standpoint, I think are are again changing through the pandemic. So I think our segmentation models, if you will, are our customer personas and journey maps. I think all of that's shifting right now. And Maybe it allows me to bring up another point that, you know, I have a somewhat controversial opinion that there are no marketing experts in our profession anymore, that we, we need multidisciplinary capability to solve the problems that exist. I mean, every problem is a systems problem right now, you know, whether it's the analytics person, as we've been talking about, design, content, creative, behavioral scientist, somebody that really knows the product really well, you know, the, the agile methodology. To, for me, you know, marketing is built for that right now. And if we could even make those squads in in today's world include sales, Mm -hmm. I think we'd we'd be even more effective in our go-to-market and in how we're addressing the the different kind of buying and uh, customer decision-making processes.
0: Yeah. To, to bring us full circle, we started talking about defining the role of the CMO compared to the CFO. Do you think because marketing has this ecosystem of skills, that's what, what keeps that definition quite vague or not, not as clear as, say, a CFO or a CHRO?
1: No, I don't think it's that our profession is changing and our skills are becoming more varied to, to solve these problems. It's certainly a contributing factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the biggest thing is that we've allowed others to define the role. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we need something that's as structured as a P&L. You know, if You know, if you don't like my version of the four Ps, let's come up with another one. But I think we need something that defines, again, what we stand for yeah um, and and without that, other people will define our role for us and how they want us to behave in an organization or what their expectations, what our managers or CEO's mm-hmm. expectations of our roles are. so i I think we can lead our own transformation, somehow allow allowed others to to define it. I don't even think lead it for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to vary so much organisation to organisation, as as you say. And, exactly. In some respects, what others around are expecting from marketing. You, you touched on a very interesting point around buying cycles, personas, yeah, those kind of journey mapping exercises, and how how they've changed so much. Are you also seeing things like deal sizes getting smaller? Uh, you know, how how's the market shifted, and and how are you as as marketing leading the charge there?
1: Yeah, I think that there's more of an openness from our clients. For our help, yeah, I, I think you know there there was some apprehension, perhaps, about who was the expert in what subject, and I think there's an openness now that we have an opportunity to to collaborate differently with our clients. Yes, deal sizes in that environment will be smaller to start, but I think uh, there's still the opportunity for massive transformations in in clients. But I think a lot of the smaller Safer, or you know, decisions will will start with a proactive. Let's try this. Let's prove this, and and continue to expand from there, depending on what we learn. Oh, by the way, the same way we approach our own, you know, marketing transformation as as a profession or within our day job, our clients are doing the same. But there is that openness. But we have to lead, lead, and lean into that to be able to create that momentum that I, I believe the marketplace is very receptive to right now. And of course, it will be smaller deal sizes this
0: time. Yeah, it's interesting that you raise that point. We um, have an um, index where we're checking in regularly with large enterprises. And, and something that we've seen from the most recent data is that a bit, a bit of a contradiction that customers are more open than hearing from vendors than ever before, but actually don't want to be sold or marketed to. So how you how you deliver marketing in, in that environment, it's it's less about uh, shouting about your, your your own speeds and feeds and, and more about understanding that customer context and, and making sure you are relevant.
1: I agree with that. And, you know, it, it does go back to data.
0: It does mm-hmm. go back
1: to asking questions that inspire us to think differently. Mm-hmm. And then I still think this know me, surprise me, help me or some notion of providing value more than expected. The mm-hmm. value exchange, I guess, point. It's, it's interesting how it all comes, the equation all keeps coming back together.
0: Some of these things are not small shifts if you're looking at things like marketing, resource allocation, where sales fit fit into that. And looking back across your, the breadth of your experience, what, what do you think holds organizations back when it comes to growth?
1: Not taking enough risk, not not going fast enough. There's an, there's an interesting Trudeau quote that's a couple of years old now where he said at Davos, you know, the world has never moved this fast and it will never move this slow again. You know, and and then he went on to sort of say, you know, we in this room are lucky enough to hear this. Imagine all the people that are not here. Mm -hmm. I sort of feel the same probably for your listeners. You know, we are we are in this, you know, doing amazing work to create new opportunity. Imagine the people that don't have the ability to to you know to use this data to connect with their clients in, in such a way. And then through that, there's also this obligation that, that we've got to lean into this. We can be the headlights for the organization. I would say it's our obligation. Yeah. And in these times, don't wait for someone to ask. It, it's our opportunity to lead in a much stronger way
0: yeah fantastic you've been really open with um your insights during this episode and i'd love to finish on what what your single biggest piece of advice would be to other marketing leaders looking to really own own and drive growth
1: look i think a a crisis and certainly we are in the midst of one
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is is something we don't want to wait so we've had a a huge opportunity in in shifting our digital transformation through this moment Take this moment to create a different momentum for your team, for your organization, and for how you reach the clients and and the success we help our clients create. Uh, Our growth, uh, your growth will be personal, professional, you know, across your team. Mm and will result in business growth. So so now is the time to take the risk to lean into the future that you want to create.
0: Fantastic. Catherine, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this episode. You've, you've certainly given us a lot to think about and closing on quite an inspiring note there. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome, Alisa. Thanks for having me. Have a good Great. rest of your day.
0: Great to have you. I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. To hear more about the Momentum Customer Buying Index, visit wearmomentumcom slash CBI and to download the latest report. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum, the B2B growth consultancy and pioneers of account-based marketing. You can learn more at wearmomentum.com.